Welcome to Embrace Your Brain's exciting new series called Embracing the Mature Mind. Join Dr. Dee Coulter as she explores the natural brilliance awaiting us all in the upper decades. Welcome to the podcast. Today's topic, Backward Bios number three, Remembering Thought Gestures. We left off in our backward biography search with the play gestures we enjoyed before about age 10. So let's move forward now and look at the gestures of our schooled minds. That span from 1st to 12th grade involved a number of brain changes, and each of them is going to impact our growing sense of thought gestures in different ways. The first thing that hit us was that we were asked to train our muscle memories to sit in a particular seat for a long block of time, and even to raise our hands before we spoke. We learned to accept those basic early rules, but our fascination with rules in general was going to have to await a different brain stage. And so we began our many practices. We learned to make reading happen. We explored how numbers worked. We learned to begin and then stay focused on and finally finish all those worksheets. The next fascinating advance is around age nine, and music teachers are usually the first to spot it. Finally, they can teach two-part songs easily. Even when the student next to them is singing different notes, they can still focus on their own melodic line or motion path. At this point, students are beginning to create their own personal thought gestures. That's about when it shows up in reading, too. Students go from learning to read, which is out loud and in a group, to reading to learn, and that means they're doing it privately and silently, and the readers can be reading different pages. Another brain shift begins at age 10. It creates the ability to see patterns easily and to realize that these patterns often follow predictable rules, and we become eager to learn these rules because it's going to make thinking easier. If we were lucky enough to have great teachers, that drive to collect and use patterned thought gestures or rules would form the heart of our schooling for the next eight years. What kind of a teacher can bring those gestures to life? Well, they'd need to love what they're teaching and to feel it inside as they teach. We often call that embodying what we teach. They also tend to love their students. With first grade teachers and music teachers, you can even hear it in their voices. For years, I taught classes and workshops for teachers, and I was always struck by the melodic tone in their voices. And when my audience was either music teachers or early elementary, especially first grade teachers, it was the strongest. I often wondered whether principals unconsciously chose those melodic teachers to take on the first grade, knowing how important it was that students learn to fall in love with school on that first year. One of my favorite teachers was a colleague of mine at Naropa University. Jane Feigau taught Tai Chi, and the students just loved her. Somehow, they really learned the essence of Tai Chi from her. We would carry out a section of a form, and then we'd pause so she could critique us. I'll always remember one critique she gave a student. The student looked like she was doing the form, but actually she was just imitating the look of it. So Jane told her not to use her eyes so much, and instead, she said, just steal it off my body. We need that kind of teaching in order to tap into the gestures that underlie information. If you only had one teacher like that, 
You may have come away thinking that you were only really good at that one subject, but the truth is, you were only truly taught that one subject. Years ago, I had a chance to talk with a Colorado physics teacher who had just been awarded Teacher of the Year. He went to high school in a really small school district, and he credited his physics teacher with inspiring him. Then he thought a minute, and he said, come to think of it, There were five physics teachers to come out of that small high school back then. But once that teacher retired, they never produced another physics teacher. So let's track the opportunities you might have had for laying down thought gestures. Did math come alive for you? Did you discover the felt sense of watching numbers grow as you multiplied by twos or fours or so on? Did you play with gathering clusters of objects by tens maybe, or dividing objects among two or three people? Did you build a sense of equity or fairness as you worked with ratios and equations? Did you notice that with ratios, the top and the bottom had to shrink or stretch evenly? Or with equations, maybe you looked at equal signs as a wall that separated twins, perhaps. Anything you did to one of them, you had to do with the other as well. Later, did you use thought gestures in graphs too? inwardly traveling along a line graph, or shrinking and stretching with the bar graphs? How about tracking the speeds involved in how numbers grew? If you started with a 5 and you took 3, for instance, and you added it, you'd get 8. But if you multiply by 3, well, now you get 15. And if you treat the 3 as an exponent, well, that means 5 times 5 times 5, and now you get 125. That's going to be an important discovery later on. Now consider learning to read. You practice cracking the phonics code over and over until it led to fluent reading. And along the way, you made a dramatic shift from learning to read to reading to learn. You could tell exactly when that happened because paper began to talk as your eyes silently traveled the page. So think back to when paper first began to talk for you and silent reading became easy. You know, all those special subjects were powerful opportunities to build inner gestures too. If you were engaged in a sport and you were good at it, that means you figured out how to map lots of gestures onto your body as if they were a choreography. Were you asked to memorize verses of poetry? If you did it with real understanding, then it rested on an inner gesture too. It's not uncommon for singers and actors to have a tendency to stutter in ordinary speech. The famous Shakespearean actor Laurence Olivier stuttered terribly all of his life, but never on stage. Stutters almost never do when they perform. Their brains tap into networks that connect the body with the brain so they can embody the gestures beneath their lines and lyrics. Did you get involved in singing or playing an instrument or drama or dance? If you discovered how to activate the gestures underlying any of them, you would have been seen as talented. Those gestures are the key to bringing the arts to life. All of these learning opportunities have one thing in common. They embed thought gestures through practice. Once practiced, these gestures can become core drivers in our lives. Next time, we'll look at the most advanced gestures of all, ones that can guide us into becoming systems thinkers. 
I really hope you'll join me in this important conversation. Please send your comments for sharing to d at embraceyourbrain.com. I look forward to hearing from you.